Welcome to Murder and Mystery. I'm your host, Summer. And I'm Lisa. This is episode two. Episode two. Exciting. So, how's your week been? Very hectic. Um, All three of my children had the flu. I ended up getting the flu. So, we've had a very down week, but I still managed to research my murder for this week. Yeah. How was your week? Well, I managed to get lost outside of a hospital (laughs) the other day, just... Walked out the wrong way and had to walk around the entire hospital to find my car. Oh my goodness. Um, that was Sound like you had a week funny. like mine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was a week, but... It sounds like a week. <laughs> <laughs> well, alright, are we ready to get into this? Yep. Okay, so my murder also falls under a little bit of mystery. Just because the family of the victim has been calling for years... Uh, This happened in 2011, and they've been calling for years for the police to rule it a homicide instead of a suicide. Oh. So, we're talking about Rebecca Zahau. Okay. She was hooked up with this guy, huge pharmaceutical millionaire. His name was Jonah Shackney. Oh. She had dated him for a while, and I believe they were engaged. They weren't married yet. They were engaged. And they were living at the famous Spreckles Mansion in Coronado, California. Spreckles is very famous for just the people that have bought it, the people that have lived in it. It's this huge estate, very big, very fancy. Okay, been passed Um, around a lot. Big, passed around a lot. It's on the coast, like Ocean View. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. And I mean, this guy, Jonah Shackney, was a huge pharmaceutical, like owner so he had lots so he of money. has money he has a lot of money and uh on july 13th of 2011 she was found hanging over a balcony at spreckles mansion completely naked oh not only was she naked she was gagged bound by her ankles and her arms her hands were were bound behind her oh how okay. do you how exactly how do you call it a suicide <laughs> right yes the story gets a little complicated just right off the bat because Jonah Shackney has a six-year-old son named Max. Uh-huh. Two days before the suicide, Max had an accident and fell over a banister while Rebecca was watching him. Uh-huh. And fell over the banister, fell down the stairs, critically injured, like ICU. On uh-huh. life support, I believe it was a brain injury. They didn't know if he was going to make oh, it. Oh, so are they thinking she felt guilty? Well, um, Jonah Shackney paints it like that. He had sent her a voicemail before the quote-unquote suicide mm-hmm. um, saying that they didn't think that Max was going to make it, that things had turned for the worst. Oh. And um, they've done a 2020 episode about this case because it has had so much media. Right. The family of uh, Rebecca Zahal has been on Dr. Phil exhuming her body and trying to get a medical examiner to call it a homicide instead of a suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been very public throughout the years of them really fighting the, the medical examiner and also the uh, police department that handled the case. Mm-hmm. And, and like it's been a very public battle to try to get them to call it a homicide. And... Of course, Jonah Shackney and his family, including his ex-wife, say that she was just guilt-ridden over what had happened to the son. Yeah. 
it still comes to the point where you're going, okay, how did this woman tie herself up and then fling herself? It would have had to have been head first over a balcony, completely naked, you know? Yeah, well, and I'm sure that the banister was high enough because they don't make those to where you can just fall over. It was weird. The rope had been tied to the bedpost in the bedroom. Okay. It was a very long rope that was around her neck. Very long rope. She had been tied with the nylon cable around her ankles and around her wrist. And we're talking about like thick rope. We're not talking about like thin rope. We're talking uh-huh. about like thick red nylon rope. The medical examiner did say that it seemed like a suicide, that the death was caused by her falling off of the balcony. The reason I believe that the police department ruled it a suicide was because they found no other footprints or fingerprints on the little balcony. Of course, we're talking about the balcony was less than three feet wide because it came off of just a bedroom window type thing. Okay. It was more like a just, it wasn't a sit down and relax balcony. It was just like go stand outside or like the doors opened up. Okay. Sort of like in a hotel, you see those little balconies, uh-huh. you know, that you can stand out there, but there's not much room other than for you to just stand. So somehow on this little bitty balcony, she managed to get the rope around her neck, tie up her ankles, and then tie her hands behind her tie back? Tie her hands behind her back, and also she had a t-shirt around her neck that had been put in her mouth, and she was gagged, and then she would have had to have taken... I mean, she was a small girl. She was she was of Asian descent. She was short and very slim, but she would have had to have used her momentum to chuck herself headfirst over this balcony. With her ankles tied. With her ankles tied. And then fall head first and her feet would literally go over her head and sling down to hang on this balcony. I mean, I mean, you think about suicides, people talk about suicides. It takes guts to hang yourself, right? It would take an incredible amount of guts to not only tie yourself up, but fling yourself head forward over this balcony, knowing when you move that way, your neck is going to snap. Well, and what would be the point of tying up her ankles and her hands and gagging herself if she's committing suicide? Exactly. Exactly. Of course her family is saying there has to be some sort of foul play. Right. She uh, lived in this mansion, the Spreckles Mansion, with Shaq and I, had lived there for a while. The weird part about it and the iffy thing is she was found by Jonah Shackney's brother okay who had come in on a flight from Tennessee after the son had been injured mm-hmm. the son had a spinal injury and a head injury so they knew that it was pretty critical so he came in he supposedly ate dinner with a friend that evening and she was with them they ate dinner together Adam Shackney the brother mm-hmm. the fiance Rebecca And this friend named Howard went out and had dinner together. And then Rebecca and Adam went back to the mansion. And Jonah Shackney was at the hospital with his ex-wife, Dina, with with Max, with their son. There were also reports of really loud music coming from the mansion Mm -hmm. that night. But the only two people that were there were Rebecca and Adam. And on the morning of July 13th, about 6.45 a.m., Adam says that he finds her body hanging from a balcony. So they went out to dinner the night before. There was loud music, Mm -hmm. you know, coming from the house that night. And then at 6.45 in the morning, he gets up, supposedly to get dressed and go to the hospital. 
and finds her hanging from a balcony, again, like wrist bound, ankles bound, gagged with the blue t-shirt around her head, and the sleeves were double knotted and stuffed into her mouth of this t-shirt. And he says he went to bed with loud music playing? And he, he doesn't give a whole lot of explanation about himself. Honestly, he called 911 like three minutes later, sent a text message to his brother that told him, hey, she's dead. Cut her down. He took a knife and cut her down before the police arrived. And then, of course, they tried to revive her. Couldn't. They did toxicology testing on her. They did speculate foul play, they said early on. Mm -hmm. However, they were unable to find any other DNA on her besides her own. So that led them to finding it a suicide. The autopsy revealed four instances of head trauma. There were four spots of head trauma when they did it that the San Diego medical examiner, his name was Jonathan Lucas, just said, hey, if she went over the rail, she probably hit her head on the way down. Or she could have been hit in the head, knocked out. Exactly. And, and thrown, thrown over, over head first about. Yes, exactly. He says when the body first drops, she doesn't necessarily jump to her death. So she would drop directly downward. And I could see where she would easily hit the side of the building and the balcony that she's hanging on. Uh-huh. He did note that he would have preferred to see what the body looked like before the wrist bindings were removed. Mm-hmm. So there was a little doubt there that maybe she would have been able because i mean for from everybody what they say her hands were behind her back really well not just like loosely tied they were bound pretty tightly behind her back and the police say it's some crazy like i encourage people if you're interested in this to try to find the 2020 episode that i watched about Uh it um from a couple years ago this was like 2018 uh the episode was But they have a knot expert Mm -hmm. examine the way she had tied her wrists. And he even says, you know, while it can be done yourself, it's super awkward and you wouldn't be able to get it very tight. You know, like it can be done because it's just like folded over, folded over, folded over, and then like ran through. So it could have been done, but she would have had to have tied it in the front, slipped her wrist out moved the rope on the other wrist behind her, put her wrist back in it, and then tightened it up. It would have been very awkward for her to do and pretty intricate for somebody who's on the verge of suicide. Right. And again, what's the point? Exactly. I mean, I guess you could maybe argue that she was tying herself up so she wouldn't try to save herself, that she couldn't kick, that she couldn't, you know, get the rope from around her neck maybe. But, uh... I don't know of many people that have committed suicide that put that much thought into their actions. Right. It seemed way premeditated, and it would seem that she was in a very clear state of mind. And most people that commit suicide, especially by hanging or looking for an easy way, they're not thinking, oh, I'm going to try to get this rope off my neck, because most people don't even think about that. Right. You know? Think about people that you've heard that attempt suicide and fail, and it's because they try to hang themselves, and after the act is started, they figure out a way to get the rope off, Mm -hmm. but nobody ever thinks, that's what I'm going to do. If you're resolute Mm -hmm. that you're going to kill yourself in your mind, you're thinking, okay, I'm just going to hang myself. I'm not going to try to get out of it. Well, and wouldn't you have tied a rope to the balcony 
climbed up on the balcony and jumped off rather right. than to a bed to a bed post to a bed post that was several several feet away several feet away like in the middle of the room and then the balcony was on the side of the room and we're talking about this is a mansion so it's not a small room right you know it gets even stranger oh on the wall in black paint uh-huh it says she couldn't save him can you save her Oh, yeah, that does not sound... I mean, not many people that commit suicide write riddles on the wall before they do it. And it was just so interesting to me because the police kind of waved it off. They were like, we don't even know who this is talking about. Like, we have no idea who he is. We have no idea who she is. This doesn't seem related to the case at all. Oh, yeah, that doesn't seem related to the boy that fell over the banister there not long ago. And the woman who just took a swan dive off of the balcony. And to make it a little more sticky, because you have Jonah Shackney's brother, who was at the mansion, who was the only one there. Rage could have been involved. I mean, your nephew is hurt. You've flown in halfway across the country. You blame her. You blame her because she was the girlfriend. She was the one in charge. She's not his mother. You know... Things get sticky in that situation anyway. You have her, but then you also have the ex-wife, Dina, uh-huh. who publicly says she's going to kill Rebecca because of what happened to her son. Okay, so there's really good motive there. There's really good motive. While they say that they can account for Dina's whereabouts like the entire time she was at the hospital or she was with other people, mm-hmm. somebody else could have, on Dina's behalf... Right. I mean... She couldn't save him. Can you save her? This seems like, okay, she let him get hurt. I'm going to hurt her. Let's see if you find her in time to be able to save her. Right. You know, it's almost a message to Jonah Shackney. Right. She couldn't save him. Can you save her? Like, can you get there in time? Can you be, you know, here in time to cut her down? You know? Yeah. It's just kind of weird because the officials were just like, nah, no. I don't think anything's going on. Um, not a clear suicide note. However, she could have written it. But why would she write it like that and talk about herself like that? Exactly. And, you know, her siblings have said, you know, the handwriting doesn't match her. Mm-hmm. They've had handwriting analysis. People look at this. Some of the M's and A's in the thing actually look like Adam Shatney's handwriting. Okay. He, uh... Always made, when he made his M's, the last leg of his M hung down. Mm-hmm. And on the wall, it okay. hung down. So there were some similarities there. he was there. the one that was there. And he was the one that was there. So as the Zahal family goes, absolutely, this is not a suicide. Right. This is obviously a homicide in retribution for Max having an accident on her watch. She killed him. Now I'm going to kill her. Right. The police, I don't feel like, did their due diligence to her, to the family. In large part, I believe, because the Shacknies had more money than God and were a very powerful family, probably contributed to the police department. That's just speculation. But you think people that live in that area, people that have all this money at some point, you know, philanthropy comes in and yes... Donations to the police department, donations to the community, you know, things like that. And it really uh, just kind of seems like they just turned their head the other way Mm -hmm. and said, well, she just obviously did this herself. 
you know, she was just mm-hmm. distraught and she just did this herself. They have never been able to get anyone to say it's a possibility Adam Shack and I did this. Like the context of the thing, just from the basic clues uh-huh. that you find, he's at the mansion, he's the last one to see her alive, he's the one to find her dead. He's the one in the mansion with the loud music. Mm-hmm. He's the one that flew across the country to be with his nephew. All these things point to the fact that, you know, he could have been very angry. Right. You know, maybe they were drinking. Maybe, you know, of course, it's all speculation because he says he did nothing wrong. He went to sleep. And so um, Adam Shacknight just claims that he was asleep. He went to bed. He had dinner with her and this friend. He came in. He can't really tell you anything about his whereabouts other than that he was at the mansion with her and that he's asleep. But he has no one to corroborate that answer because the only person that was in the mansion ended up dead by the morning. Okay. Did he say if he ever saw her when he was there? Or He talked to the police and said that they had went to dinner. And then he made it sound like he went to his room and she did whatever. And then the next morning... I guess he walked outside because from everything I've seen about the pictures, the balcony is in the backyard. Okay. So, like, facing the backyard because it was facing the coast. Like, it was facing the water. And so, I guess he got dressed at 6.30 in the morning and walked out to the backyard and found her. Because the only other way he could have found her is if he went into her bedroom. Right. And why would you be going into somebody's bedroom at 6 o'clock in the morning? Right. Right? But he did end up going in there because he went and cut her down and she was hanging from the balcony. So unless he somehow monkey manned his way up the balcony, he had to have ran back into the house and gone to her room and cut her down. Therefore, her falling to the ground and then him running back outside right, to try to resuscitate. And Actually, I don't think he ever... He says that he tried to perform, perform CBR on her, but none of his DNA was ever found on her body, on her mouth, anywhere. So, if Which you're was, trying to do CPR and then you, what... Wipe away your what? DNA? Why would you? Why would you wipe it off if you were actually trying to do it? I feel, and of course, all speculation. I feel like he didn't do anything. I think he probably mm-hmm. pushed her off the balcony and left her there until he knew she was dead, and then cut her down yeah. and called the police. Like, I mean, and if you cut her down, she's hanging. You cut her down, she falls to the ground. I mean, yes, yes. You know, they looked through her phone to see if, you know, anything was there. The only thing they found was that message from Jonah Shacknai saying that Max had taken a turn for the worse. They really didn't think he was going to pull through. Okay. Which, I mean, could be a reason to commit suicide, yes. I mean, she supposedly was a great stepmom to Max. Mm-hmm. Her family, even some of Jonah Shacknai's family say she was good with him, she was patient with him. I mean, as far as a stepmother goes, she was exactly what you would want your kid to have. The ex-wife hated her. Uh-huh. She was almost complete opposite of the ex-wife. The ex-wife was short, not fat or anything by any means, but, you know, was a regular-sized woman. Here comes this short, skinny, little, very active, very, you know, athletic, you know, woman. Uh-huh. And, you know, the ex-wife, of course, was not a fan 
felt like right. she was a gold digger, felt like she was in it for the money, even though Jonah Shackney says that she was the love of his life. Like, she matched his personality completely. Mm-hmm. They got along. She loved his kids. You know. Yeah. And everything was great. And that's why he firmly believes that this was a suicide, that she was just so distraught about what had happened to his child because she loved mm-hmm. him like her own, that she would do this. Right. I don't understand the theatrics. I don't understand why she would bind her ankles and bind her wrists, write something weird on the wall beforehand, and then strip herself naked. I feel like somebody was trying to embarrass her. Yeah. It feels like humiliation. It feels like I'm going to take away every ounce of dignity that you have. You are only going to be known as the woman naked hanging from this balcony. Right. Even even if you were distraught, and we're talking biblical times distraught, tearing your clothes, you never ran through the streets naked because you were sad. Right. You know, you ripped your clothes and you shredded your clothes to show how upset you were. But nudity was never a thing with grief. Well, and most women wouldn't put themselves in that position. Exactly. Like Again, the theatrics. Why the theatrics? Why would right. she... Why would she go through all the trouble of binding herself after she had taken off all of her clothes, except for the t-shirt that she gagged herself with, double knotted and stuck in her mouth for some reason? Yeah. After writing this thing on the wall, which, by the way, was handwritten. It was Uh written by hand. You could tell it was written by somebody's hand. There was no pain on her hands. There was, there was nothing. So to, she wrote this weird message and took the time to wash, wash it her off. hands, wash her hands good, no traces of anything on her hands, and then meticulously wrap herself in all this stuff and then throw herself over this balcony naked. Yeah. And the police were very cut and dry suicide. There were no other handprints on the railing. There was no other footprints out on the balcony. And I'm like, you know, she was in that mansion. There were servants, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. There were other people there. So isn't it weird that her fingerprints and her DNA is the only thing you found on that balcony? Right. I mean, not even... Traces. uh, Yeah, not not even traces of anybody else's. I mean, and we're talking about California in July. I'm sure they had doors open. I'm sure they had, you know, had access to that balcony before, you know... And so it seems like a wipe down job. It seems mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? It it just feels very constructed. Right. And her family has, you know, petitioned the courts and petitioned the police department and exhumed her body. Thought thought so much that this was wrong that they went through the process of bringing her body up to reexamine. Uh-huh. I mean, the medical examiners say, okay, there's this blunt force trauma on her head, you know. And they can say, I guess, when she threw herself off and swung, she hit and hit and hit and hit. But think of the force she would have had to have thrown herself off at to bang into a house four times. Right. In different places. So she would have had to have been, like, spinning or, like, you know. Like, you think of the physics of it, you know. And you would think... If she jumped off the balcony and her neck was broken, then wouldn't that show as post-mortem trauma? You would think so. And another thing, I mean, you brought it up earlier, you know, isn't this balcony tall? 
this balcony is not waist high. This balcony is like chest high. Right. And she's not a, a tall person. She's she's not the type of person, say, six foot, six foot five, that could easily fling herself over. And I mean, we're talking ankles tied. She would have had to have jumped. And I mean, jump, jump, jumped. And even still, you're thinking catching her abdomen on the railing before she could tip herself over. Yeah. This isn't, unless she was thrown, this isn't a, I have so much momentum, I'm going to swing type situation. This is, I'm barely getting myself over this balcony railing. When I fall, I'm falling straight down. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Right? Like, and they've proved again on the 2020, you can watch it, it's called Murder at the Mansion. They proved that... The balcony is so shallow, like I said, like Mm -hmm. two and a half, three feet maybe, that somebody could have easily grabbed her by the waist and chucked her over the side of this railing without ever actually stepping onto the balcony or touching the railing. Or how about, you know, knocked her out, picked her up with clothing on so they weren't leaving prints. Yes. And dropped her over the balcony. Yes. Yeah. And, I mean... It's very feasible. To me, this seems like a very cut and dry, the police just look the other way. This person, this family has a lot of money, probably is bringing a lot of money into the state, to the community. We're not going to rock the boat. Right. You know, we're not going to accuse a family member of his because of the backlash that could happen with the police department, you know. With the medical examiner's department and things like that. It just, it seems like... It seems like a cover-up. It seems like a cover-up. And not just like an active cover-up, but in a cover-up just based on neglect. Right. They just neglected to do the research. They neglected to do due diligence to the victim's family. And I firmly believe that Adam Shacknai was the one that grabbed her and tossed her over. Wrote the weird thing on the wall. And the police just didn't want to see it, so they didn't see it. Exactly. You know, but, I mean, it just seems like this whole thing is just a murder that's being covered up as a suicide. And if Adam's talked, then nobody else is talking about it. Exactly. And Adam just firmly, firmly, firmly denies. Yeah, Mm. there's no DNA on her body. There's nothing that shows that he touched her at all. Which, I mean, what's a criminal going to do? Wipe down the DNA. Right. Right? Like, it's weird that there's nothing there. Because if you give somebody CPR, you're touching their neck, you're touching their face, you're touching their chest. Mm -hmm. She's she's bare naked. Right. So, her skin is going to pick up those particulates, you know, when you touch, you know, his his skin transfer... You know, his hair. his hair, you get close enough to a person and there's going to be evidence that you yeah. were there and there's nothing on her body. There's, there's nothing. That's interesting. So yeah, that's my, my murder at the mansion, little suicide, quote unquote. Wow. But I really count it as a murder because I honestly don't see how in the world that could have been a suicide. Right. It's just one of those things where, like, there are too many circumstantial things that happened around it and too mm. much evidence that points to somebody else's involvement that I don't know how anybody in good conscience could, could have called it a suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, I... It was obvious homicide. It, it feels like one of those things that just kind of slap you in the face, like... Somebody did this, but nobody is going to talk and nobody is going to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. 
so yeah, again, you can watch the 2020. It was very informative, had a lot of forensic evidence, had a lot of, you know, they took a body, like a, a dummy that was roughly the same size as her body and rigged it up and like proved that somebody could have thrown her over a balcony. Yeah. And like they have like the family actively has detectives working on this still. I mean, this happened in 2011. This was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And the family still has people, private detectives working on this case and, you know, going through all of her, you know, autopsy evidence and taking pictures still of this mansion and, you know, like, there are still people involved in this trying to get this solved because the family so firmly believes that it was a murder. And it wasn't obvious enough with the circumstances for the police to rule it as a murder. Exactly. So, you know, and of course they always say if anybody has any information, if you hear anything, you know, to contact the police. Right. You know, they're they're still hoping that maybe somebody will open their mouth at one point. I mean, it's been long enough that, you know, you could say, hey, I got away with this. Someone somewhere you knows. Know. Someone, someone somewhere knows. And, I mean, watch the interview in 2020. Watch Adam, Adam Shackney. Watch Jonah Shackney and their body language. And you tell me what you think because I honestly believe that the brothers know. Yeah. They know what happened. That is interesting. I've yeah. never heard that one. The, it, it's one of those rare little gems that, you know, got a little publicity here and there, like mm-hmm. little smatterings. Like I said, 2020 did a thing about it because the family was fighting so hard. They had went on, and I'm not sure of the year, but they had went on Dr. Phil and were asking for Dr. Phil to help with resources to, mm-hmm. you know, do another autopsy on her. And just, I mean, these people very firmly believe that she was murdered. Wow. I firmly believe that she was murdered. I feel like it's very obvious, you know, but it's another case of affluent people getting away with whatever right. they can. So, yeah, check interesting. it out. Okay, that was really interesting. And I guess I have the mystery. Yes, intrigue me. So, my mystery today is a little bit different because we know what happened, but what we don't know is why and exactly what went on to cause this okay that's always a good thing in a mystery (laughs) (laughs) so i became really intrigued with this when it happened it was all over the news and it just kind of disappeared i didn't even know some of the stuff that came out until here recently when i was doing my research Uh and stuff but it's also a little bit scary when you listen to it you know I don't fly often, but I do, you know, a couple times a year for work. And you get on those planes and you're at the mercy of those pilots. Yes, absolutely. You know, and and of the plane. If the plane malfunctions, then it's not like, you know, you can pull over on the side of the road. Exactly. Yeah. And stuff. So, it's really scary. And so, my mystery today is the Malaysian Airlines Flight 370. Ooh. That's a good one. So I remember when this happened back in like 2014. I remember listening to it. I remember it really intrigued me because there was a part of me that wanted it to be this really big like 
Bermuda Triangle Langoliers type yes, yes. disappearance. You know? I remember when it happened too, and you get that sense, that really eerie feeling comes right. over you, like, okay, this is fiction. This is not real yeah, life. Yeah, this doesn't happen. This doesn't happen to you know how can it's very lost, like right. you know, like lost was so popular, and that's exactly what I thought of when I first heard about it. Is okay, where are these people? Right, you know, and it really. Even though we kind of know what happened, we don't know what happened, and it's still, even after all of this, I still get that sense. Yeah, because it's a, it's one of those things where in the such a modern time that we're in with such technology, how can we not find this thing? Right, things like this just don't happen. Exactly, exactly. So, the Malaysian Airline Flights 370 left Kuala Lumpur International Airport on March 8, 2014, Headed to Beijing Capital International Airport. So, and, like, headed to a major airport. It right. wasn't just, like, taking off on a small flight. This was, yeah. like, a major flight. This was a major flight, and yes. this was a normal flight. This was a flight, flight that they made twice a day, every day. Okay, so, yeah. This this is extremely out of the ordinary, then, because right. it, is so, it is so regular. Yeah. So, there were 239 people on board, including two pilots... 10 cabin crew, and 227 passengers. Wow. The passengers on the flight included 153 China, Chinese citizens, mm-hmm. 38 Malaysians, and the rest were from Indonesia, Australia, India, France, the U.S., Iran, Ukraine, Canada, New Zealand, the Netherlands, Russia, and Taiwan. So there were a lot of different people. Right. We're not talking about maybe somebody, this plane being targeted for the people that were on it because there was a very mixed bag of people. Yes. Okay. Which makes it even more strange. Right. Right. You know. And the way that they talked about this, this was like one of those, even though it was a five-hour flight, it was like a commuter flight. It was like one of those that is so regular that that they do all the time. Like it's like hopping on an Amtrak and, you know, just going. Yeah. Yeah. So, the pilot was 53-year-old Zahari Ahman Shah. So, I'm sorry. I know I'm butchering butchering the name. (laughs) Um, Whom had been with Malaysian Airlines since 1981. So, experienced. Yes. Very experienced. Very experienced. Yeah. And the co-pilot was 27-year-old Farik Hamid, whom had been with the airline since 2007 and was scheduled to complete his certification after this flight. Okay. So this flight so, was his final, final like yeah. apprenticeship type thing, right? Right. Okay. And obviously, you know, he'd been with the airline since two thousand seven, so he had been there flying for a while and yeah. had a lot of hours, hours in the air. Yeah. So the flight was a routine flight, like I said, made twice a day, scheduled to take five hours and forty three minutes. The plane carried enough fuel to be diverted to other airports if needed and could fly for 7 hours and 31 minutes total. Okay, so they had plenty of time to turn around. Right, if if something happened. Okay. So, the crew made contact with air traffic control 38 minutes after takeoff, and there were no concerns indicated. Even, you know, they did their pre-flight checks. Everything was fine. Completely normal. No mechanical errors nothing okay before taking off 38 minutes into the flight everything was fine the flight was over the south china sea and the captain acknowledged transition from the lump lumpar radio radar to the ho Ching ming 
radar. Okay. So when they switched radars going into the next country. Okay. You know, so they, they knew they were going on course. Everything was fine. Right. It was like business as usual. Exactly. Okay. They had made it from like that part. They were transitioning into the later part of mm-hmm. the flight. Yep. Right. Okay. And so that was 38 minutes into a five hour flight. Everything's fine. Everything's normal. They did their first check in. And then a few minutes later, the aircraft was lost from radar screens. Now, I have, I mean, I have no idea how it works. I know, you know, there's the phrase flying under the radar. Mm -hmm. So my thought has always been, did they lose altitude so quickly? Well, we'll get into that. Okay. Yeah. Because because (laughs) there's, there's some interesting things that go on during this time. So the crew, they were expected to contact the Ho Chi Minh when they pass into the Vietnam airspace. Okay. So as they pass into different airspaces, they're they checking have to in do a with check the in. different. Yeah. And they didn't. So calls to the flight went unanswered. Another aircraft attempted to contact the flight. Yeah. Because the towers couldn't get a hold of them, so another aircraft attempted okay. that. The captain set of the other airplane said that he was able to make contact but only heard mumbling and static. So somebody picked up, but they couldn't, couldn't make, make out what out was going what was, on. Okay. And then no other communication was received from the craft. Okay. Military radar continued to track the flight for another hour. So even though it went off of the regular towers air radar. Like, like the TSA radar? Yeah. Like, yeah. It was still on the military radar. Okay. So the plane deviated from its flight path and moved westward across Malay Peninsula. Peninsula. Okay. Uh, communication between the aircraft and the satellite networks concluded that the flight continued on its deviated path with little change in its track. The plane made seven link-ups with the satellite system in- indicating that it did not suffer any catastrophic event causing it to deviate from its flight plan, and it is believed that the airline crashed into the ocean when it ran out of fuel. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting because it was making, I mean, in theory, making all of its regular checks, Mm -hmm. yet there's no communication to say why they had been off course so badly. Right. But to the naked eye, everything seemed fine. Yeah. There there was no indication. They weren't flying where they should have been, but there wasn't anything wrong with the aircraft. Right. That would have caused them any type of harm. Right. There were no distress signals that were sent, no technical problems detected before the plane left. Huh. Uh, and there were there was no bad weather in the area. There was nothing, nothing that could nothing account that for would it. Have given a reason why. Right. Huh. So, so this is like Bermuda Triangle, like yeah, I mean, it just disappeared. It just and nobody knew where this went. Huh. What happened? So, Malaysian Airlines issued a statement one hour after the flight's scheduled arrive time that the government had initiated a search and rescue mission. Okay. So, this is one hour after the flight was late. Okay. So, remember, it was a five-hour, five-and-a-half-hour flight. The plane had so enough had fuel... Six- to fly seven and a half hours. So this was in theory eight and a half hours after the flight had taken off. No, this was, was six and a half hours oh, after the so flight had taken off. So when it should have landed. When so it, this was okay. an hour after it should have landed and okay. they still didn't have contact. They issued this statement. When, okay. Okay. I, okay. I understand. Now. Okay. Okay. And that's kind of important when you think about 
one of the theories is that it was still flying. It was still in the air when they're issuing these a statements. Search and, rescue and that they statement. were doing a search and rescue. March 24, 2014, the government concluded their last known coordinates of the flight was in the southern Indian Ocean and there was no place it could have landed. They declared the flight crashed into the ocean and there were no survivors. And that's when search for wreckage began. Yes. They, that's a significant amount of time. Right. To just be AWOL. Right. I mean, these people, I mean, it was almost a month. Right. That they, you know. And they really did begin searching just hours after the flight disappeared on March 8th. I mean, they were doing a search and rescue, but they were also looking for any type of wreckage, any types of signs. Yes. And the official search was suspended on January 27th. 2017. Wow. Yeah. Man. So that's like, what? Three, three years. years. Three years. So this made it the most expensive search in aviation history. And they still have found nothing significant. Right? right. Private companies have picked up the search, but to date only a few pieces of debris have been found. And this debris had washed up on various shores, but the main part of the aircraft has never been found. And I mean... I'm sure we can look this up and, and find it. But, like, how strange is that? Very strange. I mean, we're talking about a huge <coughs> aircraft. They know its coordinates, its last known coordinates, mm -hmm. within an hour of when it is supposed to show up. How in the world do you not just diverge on that mm -hmm. coordinates and find massive pieces of this aircraft? Well, some of the things that kind of happened during that time, you know, I said that it dropped off radar, but military radar continued to yes. track it. But these countries were not forthcoming at first with their military radar. They didn't okay. want people to know what kind of technology they had and stuff. How they could track it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So once that radar was found, what it showed was this flight took off. Followed its path for about 38 minutes, made that last communication, uh -huh. and then it turned almost completely around and almost followed its flight back, but kind of drifted a little bit and just flew straight out across the peninsula into the ocean. Huh. And you're talking huge, expansive ocean, no islands, no place for this thing to land. The like, thing that's so crazy to me, though, is you have this massive aircraft, even if it does nosedive into the ocean, mm -hmm. we're still talking about large pieces of wreckage. Right. So that's my head scratcher in this yeah. whole thing. Well, and there's there are a lot of theories, and so now I'm going to go into theories. Okay. The first theory was fuel exhaustion. Since there was no communication received from the crew, the plane continued to communicate with satellites up to seven hours after the last communication. So it was still bouncing off these satellites and showing that, okay, you know, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. But they weren't getting any actual interaction with people. Okay. It was all from the flight. So that tells you that the flight's computers were working. Yes. So the other theory that kind of is power interruption and this goes into another theory later okay the flight's uh satellite communication system 
worked correctly, at least at pre-flight and for the first hour or so into the flight. Okay. So the satellite was working. Approximately two hours into the flight, there was an unanswered request for acknowledgement sent to the plane. Okay. So two hours into the flight, it's like there's nothing. And then a little over two hours into the flight, the plane system sent out a log-on request, which isn't common. Okay. So this request would come due to a power outage or an interruption to the power source or electrical system being manually shut off. So this is like there was some kind of power failure and then the power came back on. And, and it, it needed was, to re-log into the system. Exactly. Okay. So that shows that something happened there. So they also believe passenger involvement. Uh, two of the men on the flight boarded with stolen passports. These passports have been reported stolen within the last two years and were listed on the Lost and Stolen Travel Documents database, but the passports had not been checked. Oh, okay. So these two men were later found to have entered Malaysia using valid Iranian passports and were thought to have been seeking asylum. Okay. So these guys, they had these stolen passports. They came into the country using their regular passports, but they used these stolen passports to get onto the flight. But they didn't actually check them in the database. Okay, so there was there was a lack of due diligence there. Right. Because that would have been flagged immediately. They would have seen, hey, these people, you know, are using stolen right. documents. Okay. But... In looking into it, they don't believe that these were terrorists. They believe that they were seeking asylum, and they didn't want anybody to know they were leaving the country. Oh, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. So, there was another passenger who was considered a suspect due to being a flight engineer for a Swiss charter company. He was only suspected due to having relevant flight knowledge but was ruled out due to no evidence that he was a terrorist. Absolutely no, like, right. reason why. It was just basically, he has flight knowledge, he could possibly sabotage his flight. Yeah. So, no terrorist association ever made claim. Nothing in his, yeah. You know, and so, that kind of defeats the purpose of a terrorist attack. If nobody's going to say... Hey, I did this, and this is why I did it. Because the whole point of a terrorist act is to get their name out there to let people know who they are. Mm-hmm. You know. So then there was crew involvement. It was thought to be possible that someone in the cockpit changed the flight path in the autopilot. Upon searching the crew's homes, it was reported that the captain had a, a flight simulator. Uh-huh. And he had a path on that that was similar to the one that the aircraft was believed to have taken. And this was oh, okay. in his home flight simulator. However, they found that this flight path came from being put together from several different simulations. So it was like he simulated a flight here and here and here and here in these different paths. And when you put those together it's and you pull pieces of it, you could get a similar path. path. So no evidence was found to implicate that crew had there been any behavior changes that there was any depression, that there was anything within their lives that could lead you to believe that they would have committed suicide and killed all these people. Okay, yeah. However, I still read several articles and stuff where people said that they believed that it was suicide by the pilot. But there was nothing to indicate this. 
I mean, you and you have those instances. I mean, I I don't have like hard copy facts in front of me, but like it wasn't long before this Malaysian flight disappeared that where was it in Germany or something like that 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 mm-hmm. guy ran the airplane into the mountain? Right. Because it was like his last flight, he was retiring or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it was. And he went down with those people in the plane, like, like crashed on purpose. Right. I mean, so that's not far off. That pilot yeah. was with them for a long time. But there was you nothing know. in his life. Like, nobody had noticed anything. Well, I mean, and and I, and I understand that. But then, you know, you look at, I mean, look at famous people who committed suicide, like Chester Bennington. From Lincoln Park committed suicide and absolutely nobody had any idea that anything was wrong with him. Like his wife posted pictures like two days before he did it and videos of him playing with his kids and laughing. And like, you know, there was really nothing going on in his life that you would say, okay, it points to this. Right. You know. But you would think a pilot, there would be something, some indication at least that day that, that something because was wrong. not only did he kill himself, he killed. 200 Over 200 people. people. Yeah. So, That's true. There was also a possibility that there was an issue with the oxygen supply and that the crew and passenger died from hypoxia, a lack of oxygen. Yes. Leaving the flight on its own path to run out of fuel and crash into the ocean. So another theory um, was the cargo on the plane. The plane was carrying two pallets of lithium batteries. These could have caused a fire if they become overheated. And this has been known to cause crashes in the past. Okay. However, the batteries were packed according to guidelines when they were placed on the transport truck Uh that took them to the airport. They were packed correctly. Okay. But they weren't checked before being loaded onto the plane. And, I mean, we know people that load things onto the plane sometimes aren't the most careful people in the world. Right. (laughs) No offense to anybody that loads cargo on a plane. Lost luggage, banged up luggage, torn up luggage. Exactly. So, other theories include a British blogger writing under the name Saucy Sailoress. And you can find this. I actually read her blog online. Reported being on a sailboat in the Andaman Sea. Uh On the night that the plane disappeared, she stated she saw what she thought was a missile coming toward her. And when it came closer, she saw that it was a low-flying airplane. She reported the cockpit was well lit and there was a strange orange glow and smoke coming off of it like it was on fire. Okay. Um, She concluded that the plane was on a suicide mission against a Chinese naval fleet further out to sea. She later changed her story in her blog, and stated that she believed there was a mechanical malfunction that caused the plane to crash. I mean, she sees this low-flying plane, she says, with an orange glow that looks like it's on fire, fire. but concludes it's on a suicide mission to hit like a, a Navy fleet that she doesn't even know is there. Yeah, that seems like sensationalism a little bit. I agree. Yeah. And she didn't even realize until much later that, Oh, hey, I saw this and this, so this This is probably... Yeah. Right. Okay. So, I mean, and that kind of supports the fire theory that something could have happened, you know, which in turn could support the oxygen theory. I mean, you have a fire in a cabin that's taken up all the oxygen, you know, in the plane. So, an Australian claims to have found the aircraft using Google Earth 
in shallow waters and fully intact, but he refuses to disclose the location while he's working on getting the money for an expedition. <laughs> so he's trying to get money out he's of this. He's trying to get money out of it, but like what? I mean, yeah, you get an expedition and you find it, but what are you going to do with it? Right. I mean, the only value that that plane has is to the families that lost those people to mm-hmm. actually find out what happened. Right. And to satisfy our curiosity as, right. you, know, you know what I mean? Like, there's no money in it. There's no, no you know. Well, and. That plane wasn't carrying gold or anything. Like <laughs> There was another blogger that I read that he, he had experience Mm-hmm. With this, and so when he heard about this, he came up with his own ideas and went to these different islands and stuff. And he he found some debris. Mm-hmm. That's what he was going and looking for. So he did find some. Yes, but not. But not a lot. Not like, you know, if a plane crashes into the ocean and breaks into a million pieces, you have debris floating up everywhere. And I, was thinking, I mean, and you have flotation devices on the plane right that are going to come up to the top like the seats right have flotation Uh devices so you would think if this plane crashed there would be seats floating there would be i mean there would be things right like drifting off into these faraway islands and drifting you know what i mean like but they they only found like a few pieces like i want to say less than 10 pieces of this airplane see that's so weird to me like right that in itself is a huge mystery. Like, even if we figured out what happened to the plane, how in the world did it break so greatly? <laughs> you right. Know, unless there was an explosion. I mean, if that fire was a legitimate thing, if the blogger really did see the plane on fire, it could have potentially exploded. But you're still looking you're at still gonna pieces. You're still going to find debris. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And bodies. And, and things bodies, like that. Parts luggage. of bodies. Luggage. So there was also um, claims that an airplane had been found intact in the Cambodian jungle and that it was mm-hmm. seen landing in the Indonesian River. Okay. So there was a scenario of the plane being on a mission to attack the American military base on Diego Garcia, but was shot down. Uh, there oh. were reports that Captain Zahari is in a Taiwanese hospital with amnesia. Um, And a New York-based writer, Jeff Wise, theorized the electrical system of the plane was reprogrammed to provide false data on its eventual flight plan, but it really turned north toward Kazakhstan. He believes the Russians stole the plane, (laughs) and when asked about wreckage found in the Indian Ocean, he stated it was planted. So that that's was a very deep, far off. That's a deep theory. Yeah, that's very a deep conspiracy. conspiracy. Yeah, like, he dug a hole to get to that one. And other more landed, outlandish theories include the fly, plane flying into a time warp <laughs> and being or being sucked into a black hole. Okay. You know, because there are a lot of black holes just around that right. area that we don't know about. Um, I mean, that's a Bermuda Triangle theory if right. there ever was one. There, right. you know... Space-time continuum, like, wormhole in the universe. They are right. in another dimension now. Like, <laughs> so, And that was something that I heard a lot of in that first year that it was missing because nobody could find anything. Yeah, it was such a head-scratcher. Like, you almost, I mean, you have to suspend your disbelief for a minute and say, okay, anything could happen because right. in this day and age, you don't lose a plane with almost 300 people on it. That right. just doesn't happen. 
So I have a couple of theories. Okay, lay it on me. Tell me what your theories okay. are. So they were saying that there was a, obviously some type of power disruption. Uh-huh. You know, from the way that the satellite couldn't get anything, and then all of a sudden there was that log-on signal. So that says that at some point in this flight, the power was either manually switched off or it there was something that something happened. Something that happened, that. yes. So, um, and then there's the altered flight path that shows that the flight, that the plane turned really sharply. It made a very sharp turn that could have taken them back to the airport that they had departed from. Uh-huh. Except that it kind of drifted a little, little bit further. off the path. And that, instead of taking it straight back to the airport, took it out toward the sea. Okay. So, but if, when you look at the flight path, and stuff, you see that it's really, I mean, it's off by miles and miles and miles, but when we're talking country and we're talking sky and stuff. The miles and miles isn't that big of a deal. Right. It's, it's not, not that, that hard. hard. Yeah. Off. So, my thought is that there was some type of malfunction and in the aircraft and maybe the power dysfunction maybe that was like flickering on and off mm-hmm. which disrupted the oxygen system yes and so they when they realized that this was happening and they weren't getting enough oxygen and stuff obviously like you said that can might make you kind of loopy and stuff so in this oxygen deprived state when he went to put the coordinates in to go back to the airport he, he miscalculated them he hit autopilot he passed out. Eventually, the crew dies. The crew and all of the passengers People. die from a lack, lack of, of oxygen, oxygen. And the plane just keeps flying until it runs out of air and it crashes into the ocean. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle of the ocean. And maybe if it ran out of oxygen, it didn't fall quite as steeply so it didn't break up into as many pieces. And it could just be down there completely intact. Right. With just a few pieces missing. I mean I mean that to me is a really sound theory. Right. When you think of, you know, the possibility of that happening and how easy it would be to miscalculate coordinates if you're not in your right mind. Mm-hmm. If there is a medical emergency that's happening. Right. Um with oxygen deprivation, it's going to be happening to this, the people at the same rate. So it's not like there's going to be one person more cognitive than the other to help. Right. You know, they're all just going to be struggling. You know, the co-pilot wouldn't be able to help him. Yeah. You know, any more than he was able to help himself at that point. And eventually you pass out. And you, you and die. And you die. I mean, yeah, yeah. So my other theory, I think you probably can already guess it okay go for it aliens aliens yeah aliens took the people off the plane and the plane just kind of drifted off drifted off what ran out of fuel i mean crashed crashed all the The people people are okay some other planet they're okay and i mean tested and probed it was a mixed bag of people they could get people from all over the world in that aircraft i mean it was i think that's a theory i like the best that's That's a good theory you like the alien theory (laughs) Eventually, we'll have the technology, and it will be found. I'm sure. And, and it's gonna, it's gonna be one of those things up there with like the Titanic wreckage, right? Things like that. When you find it, it's going to be a holy grail type moment for you, simply because so many people want to know what happened. Right. 
So I thought this you know, was interesting. It's I, super interesting, and it's one of the most modern mysteries of our time. Right. You know, you scratch your head at how one person can disappear. How can an entire plane and almost 300 people exactly. just disappear? You know, it doesn't seem like real life. It seems like a collective, like, illusion. So that was a yeah. good one. That was Thank a good you. one this week. I liked it. I think I think we had two really good mysteries and a murder. Right. <laughs> right? It's fun when you have that mystery it, and murder all wrapped all up in all wrapped one. into one, you know? <laughs> okay. Well, all we'll right. see you next time. Next week. Bye. Bye.